Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. 1857 is the number to call. The text to WhatsApp 083 396 Email opinion at 96fm.ie. Twitter is at opinionline96 with the hashtag OL96. And of course, there's the Corks 96FM Facebook page. Send us a message, mark it if you will, please, for the attention of the opinion line. Coming up, the insurance companies are at it again. What is differential pricing and how does it matter to you or to me when we go for insurance? It certainly matters and they are at it. We'll catch up on that in a little while. Also, I must say, there's a, newspapers have a table in them today about how the various counties are doing with regard to COVID-19. And I've been saying here for the last few weeks when we were doing the fortnightly numbers um, there for the last few weeks, Cork's actually doing okay. Cork's doing more than okay at the moment. We just need to keep at it, and I'll be talking to Professor Sam McConkie about that and other things on this morning's Opinion Line. But I want to start with COVID testing, because Stephen has had an interesting experience, to say the least. You and your family, Stephen. Good morning to you. Hi, PJ. How are you? Good. Tell us what the story is, my friend. Um, Basically, we got onto our GP yesterday, and they advised that myself, my wife, and our three kids all have to get tested. So... um, Basically, you've got a text within 10 minutes for one of our children. Then the other two came shortly after. Uh, the first one was for 20 past nine uh, this morning. One is for 10 a.m. and one is for 1 p.m. Okay. So it's all spread out from the one household. Um, now, basically... Presumably why in the one centre, is it? In the one centre, correct, yeah, on the Mallow Road. And then basically uh, rang up the HSE phone line and advise the situation going, we we're told it's the one household, we'd be all seen in the one time. It's a drive-through centre anyway, so there's no major deal. And they just took our reference numbers, said, look, someone will contact you back within 24 hours. Um, we rang back again this morning just going, look, what is the situation? Are the current times uh, been cancelled or not? I said, in the meantime, following our call, myself and my wife got a text for half one today. Does that mean all of us can go at half one today or has everything been cancelled? And they said, we don't have visibility of that. <laughs> so we were like, but who does the visibility if you're the HSE mm. and we're, you're the number we're supposed to contact? So the reason I wanted to raise this concern was, obviously in the past week in the media, we can see the government are giving out about people not turning up to tests that have been, that have been scheduled. Yeah. 
but what do they expect when my wife doesn't drive? We have four different time slots today. We both work. So How can you possibly engineer that one? Yeah, again, exactly. just to re- read it out again for people, you have an appointment the, between the four of you. There's an appointment at 20 past nine, an appointment at 10 o'clock. They would be okay back to back. Then this one at one o'clock and then one at half past one. You'll all be going in the same car. It's a drive through centre. How many times is you already expected to go round and round? Exactly. And we were only there three weeks ago as our, um, our daughter was only 15 months. She's high risk because she had pneumonia last winter and we only got her tested three weeks ago. Now, at that time, I have to say, and just to reiterate, no issue at all with the people rang up in the call centre or the nurses when we were dealing with them previously as well. They've all been really good and professional, etc. It's just the overall system that's obviously out of their control. It's just completely flawed, in my opinion, because at the end of the day, they're saying you have to restrict movement However, then you're expecting someone who, the likelihood is we don't have COVID, but if you potentially may have COVID, having to leave your house four times in the one day yeah. just makes no sense. Because it would make, and you know, like you and me, we're, we're ordinary we're ordinary people. We'd have a thought, well, okay, we're all being tested as a family. If we all go in the one car, then surely they can just get four swabs and do exactly. one of us after the other inside the car. Like, are we stupid or something? Because that, like, that sounds like an easy thing to do. And that's the, three weeks ago when we had to get our um, daughter tested. The, I have to say, as I said, the nurses are brilliant, fierce considered, especially with the ages, etc. And they just said, does anyone else need to be tested in the car? And we we're like, no, we're all okay. It's just our youngest. They said no problem there and then. So when we rang up yesterday and again this morning, we just said, Myself, my wife are at half one. Can we turn up at half one and get tested and then get our kids tested all the one time? And they said, oh, will you just wait for your phone call back? And then I asked, well, can you confirm are the existing times still there? Or are they cancelled from the system? And they advised, we don't have visibility of that either. So we were like, well, what are we supposed to do? So it's so ten right past now, nine, you have an appointment at twenty past. I take it you're not going. No, we're not going exactly. We're not going because obviously we're both working as well and we're trying to juggle everything. So it's a case of right now we're thinking going at half one. Hopefully they can also get the kids tested as well at that stage. Mm. But we don't know in the meantime, are we going to get something in, in a few hours going right? It's later on this evening or tomorrow, whatever the case may be. And it's just, it's, I would have assumed that whoever you'd contact, if that's the helpline, that they'll be able to advise, look, these appointments are cancelled for further instructions yeah. but they're stating going look we can't confirm or deny whether the appointments are currently cancelled or not oh, but look someone sake. will hopefully contact you later today for an appointment and the knock on effect is our youngest she has additional needs and she is a medical procedure on Monday in the CUH so we said look we need to get tested today anyway to try and get our results by ideally Saturday so we're not having to delay things or reschedule things in the last minute with the CUH on Monday. Um, and you, you'd hope you'd be getting results back then, quick smart too? Exactly. So like I know that at the moment, I think it's like 36 hours, 48 hours max on average, but from everyone I'm speaking to with, let's say, other kids in school, there's so many of them out at the moment. It seems like that the amount of testings that are being done is going through the roof in the past week with kids back to school and getting sick. 
We're hearing of people waiting for up to a week for results and certainly three to four days for a lot of people. I'm going to ask a question, Stephen, because if I don't, somebody else will. Um, You say that you understand why you need to be tested. Uh, Your wife and yourself both work. Are you both working today? We are. We work from home. Oh, gotcha. So isolation isn't an issue. No, no, not at all, not at all. But it's just the case of, obviously, our kids have been out of school and crash for the past few days. We think it's just a common cold. The likelihood is it is, but obviously procedures, we want to rule out everything. Um, We're just doing everything above board, basically. It's just a case of, it just seems sort of farcical. And when everything keeps on being repeated in the past week, that there's whatever, 40% of people aren't turning up to appointments that are scheduled or whatever the case may be. What do they expect when it's these type of situations? All right. That's that's a valid question. Stephen, thank you very much. 1850-715-996. Again, am I stupid? (laughs) I've been called worse. If you have a family of four people and the doctor says they should all be tested and they can all go in the one car at the one time, why can't you just test them all in the car at once with four separate swabs? Like, would that be too much like a simple way of doing things? But Stephen and his family, four of them, were given four appointments. 9.20, 10 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock. Even though they're all going to be going along in the one car at the one time. 1850-715-996. Just before I go to a break, and we're talking about the insurance companies and differential pricing, listen up. It could well have affected you. It could well have affected you. If you want to help Patrick and Adrian Walsh, who were on with me yesterday, their story appears today in the Irish Sun, and I think in the Mirror as well, uh, some photographs that I took at the site of the, the desperate conditions in which they live. If you want to help them, we were contacted last evening by Vincent de Paul volunteer. So if you'd like to put some money aside for them so that Vincent de Paul can continue to supply them with the stuff that they do, uh, Blarney Cage Care of the Aged will help. AIB Blarney has an account there, uh, and the account is eight five four three eight two nine five eight five four. I'll give you this again in a minute, and we'll publish it. Eight five four three eight. 295 and there's a sort code 934178 I'd say that we should probably put that information on the Twitter or on the Facebook or somewhere so people can help out just give a few bob to Patrick and Adrian uh, following on from the interview of the show yesterday but AIB Blarney has an account that's uh, where they can be helped, which is great. 1850-715-996. Some stuff coming on testing. I'll get to it, but I also want to talk about insurance next. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the indoor self-service laundrette. Now at the Junction Vickers Road. Every day, washing and drying, done within an hour. Selfservicelaundry.ie. Cork loves the arts. We do too. That's why we bring you the Arts House. Every Sunday on Cork's 96 FM. Hi, it's Elmery. Each week we bring you the latest news from our vibrant and creative communities all around Cork. Whether it's tips for the best live gigs online, new initiatives from Cork's writers and musicians, join Elmery Mall and Connor Tallon as we work to support and keep the arts alive in Cork. The Arts House. Sunday mornings, 8 to 10. With Griffin's Potatoes Cork. Fresh flowery and full of taste. It's at the root of what we do. On Quartz 96 FM. 
This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show, The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96 FM. Do you know when you hear a term and you think that doesn't sound right? Uh, but what is this? And would they do it to me? The central bank has said that it's very concerned about some insurance companies using differential pricing. It has found that differential pricing is a real thing and it's really out there. And obviously it's worthy of further investigation. Now, Sinn Féin's Piers Doherty was bringing this subject up a long time ago. Piers, good morning to you. Good morning to you. How are you? For simplicity of understanding... Uh, I said this, many of my listeners may well have been subject to this and wouldn't even know what it was. What is differential pricing? Yeah, well, we call it dual pricing. So basically what it is, uh, PJ, is it's where an insurance company charges uh, different premiums uh, to two people that have the identical risk. So if you can imagine that, say, if me and you were the same age, we had the same, uh, you know, penalty points, we had the same type of car, we had the same record of in terms of accidents or claims and all the rest. Uh, so therefore, we 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 pose the same risk. So in terms of motor insurance, we should be getting an identical quote from each other. That's not what happens when insurance companies quote. They should they quote on three things: the risk. The, uh, the operational cost of the company and then a bit of profit margin. And, and that's what you should make up your premium. But that's not what happens here. What happens here is that the insurance company uses big data. It uses information, three sources of information that can be used. We know this happens across Europe and we, we don't know the extent of it here in Ireland. But we know that they, they use data that we freely give them. Uh, information like, uh, you know, uh, sometimes our job, our holiday and habits, if we have travel insurance with the insurance company, if we have home insurance, they know the type of value of our house and the value of our contents and so on. So they, they can use a lot of that data and manipulate. The second thing is they can purchase data from catalogs, the likes of, you know, uh, I'm not suggesting that these are the ones, but Smiths and Argos and travel, uh, right. saver cards and so on and so forth. So legally purchased hard data. Uh, the, the, they they the can data. see where we spend our money. Exactly. And then the third area, uh, Area where the European supervisor has now acknowledged that insurance companies are using is to take information from social media. So artificial intelligence, these are kind of programs at computer level. They can now read information from images that you post on social media, videos that you post on social media, or indeed audio files that go up on social media, and they're able to strip from them uh, information uh, that they use in their big computer system. What does their computer system do with all of that information? They try and figure out how much can we push the price up on uh, on 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 PJ or Pierce or Mary or John or whoever it is. Uh, how can how far can we push them in terms of price uh, before we think that they will move to another company? And that's what dual pricing is. It really targets low income people. It targets people with disability, and it targets elderly worst. It it affects us all, but it affects them in a in a big way uh, and can cost us billions of euro collectively every year. And that's that's why we're seeing, obviously, the insurance industry making what's called hyper profits last year, where they, they, they made quarter of a billion euro of profits collectively. Another uh, explanation that I heard of this, Pierce, is that, well, if you're with the same company for a very long time and say you get your car insurance quote every November and you just say, oh, God, that's gone up a bit. <laughs> I'll pay it anyway. You become a target for this. 
Absolutely. That's one of the pieces of information that they use. It's probably one of the most common pieces of information they use, and that is what we call the loyalty premium. So if you're with an insurance company, say for the last five years, and you've just renewed your car car and policy or your home policy with them, you're likely on average to be paying 30% more than if you were a new customer. The reason being is they have looked at the data that they are seeing and they say that Mary or John renews with us every year. They're not price sensitive. They don't shop around. So therefore hit them with a bit with an extra premium. So there's a big study being done by the, the, the equivalent of the central bank uh, in Britain. And they've found that uh, for example, if you renew five times, you're hit with a, a loyalty premium of 30% more. Uh, and the longer you stay with the company without shopping around, the more likely that you are, you'll be hit with higher premiums. 30%. Look, and 30% is just an average. In some cases, it's way higher than that. Look, my own scenario last year is I've been with uh, Liberty Direct for, for many years. I've always shopped around, but I, and I've always got better value from other insurers, but I've always then went back to Liberty Insurance and actually they've matched the, they, they've matched the quote I got from somebody else. So for all intents and purposes, I've been with Liberty Insurance for over a decade. So when I got my renewal, quote out their computer sees that I'm a loyal customer even though I've been shopping around but they, they see me as a loyal customer so they hit me with these extra premiums when I took, got my insurance renewal I took all of the information went to Liberty Insurance own website and got a, a quote for me for the exact same car from the exact same company for 33% more we have done that for countless people we've seen where uh, r- premiums have been reduced by up to 740 euro in one case uh, for motor insurance from the same company for the exact same individual. And that is dual price in, 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 in operation. The reason being is the computer, when you go onto the computer or the website, uh, they don't they don't have all of your other data. They don't know how often, they see you as a new customer and that's why they treat you right. uh, without, you know, they don't affect the loyalty premium isn't there or they haven't looked at the, the, you know, they haven't mined your social media data. Like they're looking at pictures that you're posting online uh, of maybe you on holidays and they're facing, well, you know, they're on holidays there, they can afford maybe a bit more or they're looking at your shopping habits or whatever and they're, 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 they're gathering this information. And like we uncovered this last year, uh, we brought a 130 page dossier to the central bank. In fairness, after my meeting then with the governor of the central bank, he agreed to investigate this. Yeah. And what happened yesterday is basically just a complete vindication of everything I've been saying uh, that, they, that the companies are ripping us off uh, that they're screwing us to the health, that they needs to stop. And uh, what the insurance, what the central bank found is that the majority of insurance companies in Ireland are doing this, even though that some of them are still denying uh, that this is happening. So the we key, need to move the to the next point. The key question here, I think, Pierce, the key yeah. question that jumps into my mind anyway is the three words: Is it legal? It 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 is legal. Um, it is legal because you know, but that doesn't mean to say that it should be legal. Uh, so, for example, if you were to ask me in California is illegal, I'd be telling you, no, it's not. If you were asking me is it legal in Hungary, I'd be saying, no, it's not. Uh, indeed, 20 states across the United States has banned this. Like, look, the United States of America are the, the, the home of, of, of capitalism and the free markets, but they have found this type of practice so abusive, uh, so uh, outrageous that they have banned it right across 20 states. And as I said, it's also banned in other EU member states. 
Britain has done a major investigation into this, uh, and the interim report has suggested a number of recommendations, including banning this practice in the final reports that's supposed to be released this month. We've called for this to be banned last year. I don't believe that we need a central bank investigation. It's good that they've confirmed everything I've said, but we know that this is happening. That is why I've I've produced legislation now to ban this practice, but we're asking government basically to fast-track this. Let's do this. Let's protect our citizens the same way Hungary does, the same way you know, uh, states in America do. It's just outrageous that this is allowed to happen. And like the, the big advice I give to people and your listeners this morning is if you're getting your renewal quote through the door or through email this morning, do not accept it without shopping around. Do the basic things like go on, on the website of even the same company, put in your details and check it out because what they are doing is just trying it on with you. They are seeing how far they can push you. And that's why you're, you know, by, by not doing, by not shopping around, by not checking out, where uh, you're basically putting money into to their pockets that should be in your pockets in the first instance. So as long as the government don't step in and ban this, and I'm really disappointed at the government statement yesterday where they said uh, in response to this that banning this practice would have unintended consequences. What, like, what would they be, I wonder? Well, maybe it's less profits for the insurance company that I would celebrate. Maybe it's the fact that we would actually protect low-income, vulnerable people with disabilities. Like, this isn't just me saying this. Like, I, I, everything I've been saying is based in fact. The, 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 the major investigation in Britain has, has identified that those worst hit, hit are those with disabilities, those low-incomes, and those that, that are elderly. People who maybe don't have uh, the ability... Uh, or the equipment to, to, to shop around. Um, and, 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 and this is just outrageous. This is why you have government and you have central bank is to protect you from these practices. And PJ, these practices are just getting worse. Every couple of years, the, a group called IOPA, IOPA is the supervisors of insurance right across Europe. They do reports. I read those reports. The, the use of big data and data mining is becoming more and more uh, used in insurance companies. So if, you, if we were having this conversation five years ago, insurance companies didn't have the ability to go into your social media and figure out how uh, to use pictures that you're posting of your kids at their birthday party or at your holidays or a Mm. video that you think is going up, you know, just for the crack, you know, uh, uh, how they are using that to try and uh, rip you off with prices. But now they're openly admitting to the supervisor in Europe, yes, we use social media data to actually, uh, to to assist us in pricing our insurance policies. And, And that's wrong. That's simply wrong, and there is questions in relation to intrusion in in terms of what we put up in in, in our social media feeds. Can I put this into a very simple context, the context of a bag of potatoes? And and you go into your corner shop, you go into the corner shop, Pearson, you buy a bag of new season potatoes, and we'll say, for example, it costs a fiver. And someone else down the road goes in, and they buy the same bag of new season potatoes and it's realized that well okay pierce is a td um and there's that oh there's that high court judge over there or or there's the fellow who's a really successful uh, man in the in the banking trade or whatever he pays 6 quid for his bag of potatoes. Is that the same thing? It is, it is. And, and let me give you another analogy of the bag of potatoes. Let's say that there's two shops selling the same bag of potatoes. One selling them for three quid, the other selling them for six quid. But they're five miles apart. The person comes in who's next to the shop that's selling them for the higher price, but the, the shopkeeper knows he doesn't have a car. 
So therefore, he charges them six quid. But the person who has a car, he charges them three quid because he knows he can go down the road and get them for three quid. That's supply and demand, really. But no, they're using personal data. They're using personal data to figure out how high they should charge you in terms of the price. And when we put this to the insurance companies, I challenged them last October when they were before us. They told us that this wasn't happening. They told us that they had nobody working in their companies in relation to this. I whipped out... Uh, the, the job description of the head of the operation that they were recruiting in Aviva. They still denied it until I actually had to re- read the whole job description into the record. One of the roles and responsibilities, key roles or key talents that that person need to have was to be able to understand the behavioural attitudes of the customer. So this is insurance companies moving away from a risk, moving away from how dangerous is Johnny or Mary on the road, how likely are they going to have a risk, a, a, a crash, how likely are they going to have a claim, to now look at other matters which is nothing to do with insurance is, and is only about these big massive companies pushing up prices uh, and having a very negative impact in relation to customers and that's what the central bank said yesterday. The central bank on foot of my report carried out this investigation. They're not supposed to make findings until next year because there's three phases and we're only at phase one. What they have seen after they lifted the lid a little bit is so damning uh, and so alarming to them that they believe that they needed immediate investment intervention yesterday and that's why they've written to the CEOs of all 11 companies demanding immediate intervention they weren't supposed to do this for another year okay. uh, but it is so bad what is going on here and as I said the central bank will do their piece they'll confirm everything that I've been saying uh, and uh, I guarantee that what we then need to do is we need to ban it in my view we shouldn't be waiting for another year to ban it we should be doing the right thing now and we should be banning this practice and defending people against this scrupulous rip-off behaviour you're, within you're the, bringing the, up the, the dial I think you're bringing up the yeah, look, I've brought this up on numerous occasions. I think uh, the last time I brought this up on the doll uh, with the the shot the time, Leo Varadkar, earlier this year, he told me that that was a great diatribe that I'm just after reciting, uh, after I put all of this on the record. Look, uh, you know, the central bank has now backed me up uh, 100% yeah, which, in everything I've said. Uh, look, we need to... Uh, I, I'm not interested in the politics of this it, it year. Dismiss an opposition TD, but dismissing the central bank might be a bit more complicated than that. <laughs> Absolutely. And look, anybody, I've already had pieces of legislation passed on insurance that have radically reformed the insurance industry. You know, I've I've been taken, I have another piece of legislation that's coming down the tracks as well in terms of insurance. I intend as part of the Sinn Féin campaign to end the ripoff of insurance in this state. And this is one part of it that needs to be moved on. I'll leave it there for now, Piers. Thank you very much. Piers Doherty, Sinn Féin finance spokesman. He, he did start this, to be fair to the men. He did say this was happening. Central Bank can now said, well, yeah, actually, it is happening. So can it be stopped is the question. 1850-715-996. My insurance was due this month. It went up, so I shopped around, got 350 less. Uh, I renewed my insurance this week, got an initial quote of 506, my current insurer. Allianz went on as a new customer, got a quote of 376. Rang him then, and the best the guy on the phone could do was 420. Uh, Antoinette, my renewal came in for 743. Set up a new policy with the same company, got it for 459. It's, it's happening. 1850, 715996. Since the very start of the pandemic. We've spoken on probably half a dozen occasions with Professor Sam McConkey. And uh, I'm glad to say we'll be talking to him again after the break because he is very concerned about the present numbers, particularly 
in places like Dublin. 1857 The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM. With the indoor self-service laundrette. Now at the Junction Vickers Road. Open every day to save you time and money. Selfservicelaundry.ie Cork's 96 FM and Cork City Council present Culture Night Cork City. Friday, September 18th. Friday, September 18th. Connect through culture with free events. Physical, online and hybrid in over 60 city venues. From dancing and film, music and art to theatre and literature. Venues across the city will open their doors, both virtually and in reality, for one night only, including a live streamed performance from City Hall Concert Hall with the Vanbrook Quartet for the entire family on Friday, September 18th only. See more on Facebook and Twitter at Cork City Arts or check out Culture Night Cork City on Instagram. Visit culturenightcork.ie for the full programme with Cork City Council, the Echo and Echo Live and Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833 96 On Cork's 96FM. We, uh, we're looking at this p- thing in the paper this morning and for the last fortnight or so I have been giving you, or the last month or so, I've been giving you fortnightly figures with regard to Cork. Now, you'll have read in your papers and seen on your television news over the last while that they're now very concerned about Ireland's national figures because per 100,000 of population, we've now got 34.7% sorry, 34.7 cases per fortnight which is a lot of cases and they're very worried about Dublin Ronan Glynn, the uh, acting chief medical officer, was very concerned about the numbers uh, yesterday. And there's a serious danger that they'll have to put some restrictions on Dublin and restrictions on Limerick. Looking at a table published in a lot of the papers this morning, table taken from the hub, the hub we've been talking about, uh, Dublin is top with a 100,000 rate of 67.8. Limerick second, 63.1. Kildare, 61.6. Come down a bit then. Clare's on 27. Uh, Donegal's on 23. Westmead on 19. Galway, 14. Kerry, 12. Cork, 7. So we're doing well in, in the overall scheme of things in terms of our fortnightly case numbers. And I've been saying that for a while, that we need to just watch ourselves. Uh, and keep doing what we're being asked to do. Let's talk, though, to Professor McConkie uh, from the uh, Royal College of Surgeons. And hi, PJ. Hi, Sam. Me. Good morning. Good to talk to you again. We, we are... We're in a good position here in Cork, but nationally, I think you're very concerned. And I think, ultimately, we travel a lot within Ireland, so uh, that means we're all in this together as one nation. It's not an area where, you know, exclusive parochialism is, is going to sort of make us okay because we're, we're all travelling across county borders frequently as you know. I think it's about maybe 20 of the different counties in Ireland that have been getting worse over the last two or three months. So think back to June when we're only getting two to five cases a day for the whole country and now we're getting you know two or three hundred so we're in a completely different place. So the trajectory since mid-June to now has been gradual steady bit by bit pro- progressive rises. It's slowly rising and you've got to look at that trajectory like ballistics. What pathway are we on? Where are we going on this path? And the pathway is that we're gradually increasing. You don't have to be a mathematical epidemiologist to see that. The, mm. the, you know, the dogs in the street can see the numbers are getting worse. Worse 
that. In the last nine or ten days here, we're seeing hospitalizations with people with SARS-2 again, which we hadn't seen for two or three months. We're seeing small numbers, albeit, but growing numbers coming into hospital sick with it. Unfortunately, what happened in other countries and what happened back in March is that this is how it started. Two weeks later, then, with the ICUs starting to fill yeah. up. Then two weeks after that, you start to see the death. Now, it is the truth that we're, we're growing slower this time than we did in March. This is our R numbers about 1.2 or so, whereas before, back in March, it was two or, two or more. So yeah. it was doubling quicker. So this is a slower growth. But the point is, we are still growing. Yeah. So I feel unless we actually do something, we are going to just end up with a back like how it was in March and April. So we need to take dramatic action at national level and with Northern Ireland on board. There also numbers are rising. So yes. I think they'll be happy to join with us. And I think there's a lot of things that we could do other than just going back bluntly to where we were on the 27th of March with the phase zero restrictions, as I like to call them. Do you remember those times you couldn't go out of your house because yeah. two kilometres and presenting? Nobody wants to be there, clearly. We don't want the whole nation of... Nobody wants to be there, Sam, but in all reality, if Dublin in particular keeps going the way it is, can we avoid doing it in certain parts of the country? I'm hoping that uh, we, we can have other more uh, sophisticated ways of, of controlling COVID-19 that, that don't involve that back to where we were on the 27th of March. The example that would be, is what about taking VAT off mobile phones, the modern ones that everyone can have the app? So only 1.7 million of us have the app at present because a lot of us have old phones that the app won't run on. So what about subsidising mobile phones to people who, who run the app? Because the app allows you really fast contact tracing. What about doing second degree contacts. So if there's a delay in the diagnosis or the contact tracing, that then the contacts of the contacts are also alerted to the fact that they've been in contact with somebody else who was in contact with someone with COVID-19 and maybe need to limit their social uh, uh, travels. What about face-to-face epidemiology? People who go to your the house and talk with people who've had COVID-19 and say, is there any other people you might have met in the last 14 days that we should contact? Where did you go in the last 14 days? And then going to those business and households and doing a deep clean alerting the staff that there could be some spread there. So I think there's other things we could do. For instance, some workers PJ, are still on zero hours contract, still on the gig economy, and they don't get paid if they don't go to work. Yeah. That, that's a disaster because that means then that they're going to work sick. And yes. that's, a, that's what happens, you know, in, in some of the industries. So we need to change our employment. Uh, employers and employees need to renegotiate the terms of how labour is bought so that people still get paid if they're out sick. What, what we've seen in the big industries over the last four or five months is less sick leave because people are actually healthier. So this idea that people go skiving off if you pay them when they're out sick isn't really the case, even though I know some employers may accuse them of that. But that's the basic change in how we employ people. Similarly, how people live. We have people living in hostels and nursing homes in large groups, hundreds together, and that's not good. Even workers, migrant workers, are sometimes living, you know, cheek by jowl, 10 or 20 of us in a house. And many of us have done that, you know, in America when we worked there. But that's not a good way for COVID-19. We've lots of small empty houses all over the country. We need rapid broadband, fast internet, get people working in those empty houses and working from home rather than being squashed in together. So I think, I think there's a lot we could do, a lot yeah. of radical changes in our society. We can rethink how we do it. Realistically, though, all those things take time. No, no, no. no. The the Minister of Finance could write an order today that would take VAT off mobile phones in five minutes. That does not take time. 
it's a fair Brian point. Lenehan did that and guaranteed the bank funds, you know, with, with controversially. But the, the Minister of Finance of our country could today, with the stroke of a pen, do what I've just said. The subsidies on mobile phones, you could mimic the bike-to-work scheme that's already existing and, and have a, you know, a phone, phone use the app scheme using the same infrastructure. So I, I, don't, I think this idea that that'll all take months. And employers and employees can change their contract immediately and start to reassure their employees. I hope that your manager, as my manager, is reassuring that if I'm sick, please don't come in, Sam. Please stay at home. Please work from home. And we will continue to pay you. So each employer, each employee can be doing that today. There's no reason why well, that can't happen in every workplace today. We, we were talking to a, an employee, an employment lawyer last week who pointed out one or two glaring holes in the system that could be closed quite, quite quickly. With regard to Dublin, Dublin has always been way higher than yeah. the rest of the country. But Dublin is accelerating now at what looks like a worrying, a worrying rate. Yeah. I mean, like, simple thing. Should... I now resist the urge to take a weekend away in Dublin. I think it depends where it is. A different Dublin's a huge city, one and a half million people. It is, you know, big and a lot of diversity within it. So some parts of Dublin there's a lot of COVID-19 spread and other parts there's relatively little. So it's heterogeneous. So what I'd like to see is local area data publicly available so everyone knows which areas are, are really risky of catching COVID and then the people who live in those areas stay there and essentially go into more restrictions and people like you and me do not travel into those areas unless we've absolutely essential business. Mm. Would absolute would would a, would a blanket restriction across Dublin like they did across Kildare and Leash and Offaly would a blanket restriction across Dublin for two weeks be effective? I, I think that's too blunt. I Is think it? that would be very very damaging to the economy and very damaging to well social and cultural life and you know media and political life. So it doesn't need to be that blunt. That's a bit like you know uh, uh, like the twenty seventh of March national phase zero again. So I, I think it can be more finessed, but I think we should be looking at restrictions of movement of people again uh, in the areas where there's been a big outbreaks. In the UK, you'll, you'll know that they've gone very he- heavy now on the only six people together in one place. And there's a warning that that could be in place right up to Christmas and into yeah. the new year. Yeah. What about our own habits here, uh, Professor Bukonki, with regard to groups? Like coming up to, Ber- we, 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 we cancelled all those confirmations and, and holy communions and yeah. all those family events. And many of them are now being rescheduled. I'm supposed to go to a, a confirmation myself next week. And, and yeah. you know... <laughs> Are we going to have to think again? I think the idea at present that we have six people indoors and 15 outdoors are are very appropriate. But you could have different restrictions. As you just said, Sligo has much less of this spreading uh, than than some parts of Dublin. So it may be possible to have differential restrictions on different parts of the country. So having a communion with local people in Sligo together is is a relatively safe option, whereas in other parts where there's a lot more of it would, would be more dangerous. The challenge then when you divide the country of course people get confused as to what phase are they in and then of course yeah. we all travel from one part to another. Like I haven't been in Sligo recently but in August I went on holidays with down in Cork actually I was in Donegal so we all like to, to travel around and that's, that's the life we enjoy is, is crossing county boundaries so I, I think the physical restrictions have to be focused and targeted on areas where everyone there can see that there's a real need to prevent COVID spreading and, and almost a public awareness that there is a lot of SARS-2 and COVID in that geographic area so we have to get that local knowledge across mm. through maybe local groups involved sports club religious groups political leaders at local area saying well our street is very badly affected let's all stay in 
for our street for a couple of weeks to try and get over it so we don't introduce it more to vulnerable people who live in the street. So I think the power of local can help us out of it. Should we be concerned about how Christmas might go at this stage? Okay, I mean, Christmas, most of us spend it, as you know, in our homes with our families, maybe extended families. So fundamentally, it's it's a, a family time that we spend more at home. So that period, you know, from Christmas to New Year, when we all sort of vegetate and play Monopoly and eat too much, isn't isn't the worst time because, you know, we're, we're off work and we, most of us are at home. So I, I suppose I'm not so worried about uh, Christmas specifically. I no, think but what is popular, what a lot of people do like to do is say on the day itself or the day after or whatever, yeah. they like to have all of the family come yeah. to one house and there could be, in my own case, for yeah. example, there could be 10 or 12 people in the house for a few hours as we have a family day. Should we think twice about that this time? Yeah, I think it's too early to say, uh, PJ. We're, we're really not at that clarity yet for December because uh, we'll have flu then. I do worry that there'll be a lot more coughs and colds of flu and COVID-like symptoms. So maybe very large numbers of people out of work because of flu-like symptoms that turn out to be influenza. Uh, so it's it's too difficult to predict where we'll be in December. That's, that's a, an unknown, in okay. my opinion. Okay. And in terms of flu, uh, I said myself, I'm thinking of getting the the flu vaccine for for the first time ever. I've never felt the need before. Okay. How important is it that as many of us get vaccinated against the flu this year as well, possible? All of us as healthcare workers uh, already are offered it and the majority here do, do take it and it helps prevent spread to others. So especially if you're coming in contact with vulnerable people, if you have elderly parents or grandparents, then you getting the flu vaccine protects them from a, a serious illness as well as, well as them getting it. So I, I would encourage uh, all people, children, adults, vulnerable groups all, all to get it. it it's a very safe and very widely used vaccine. I think there's about several million doses already purchased for Ireland this year, so and I think it's available free in most places. So I think it's 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 a worthwhile thing to get. Should we be revising our 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 basic things as well, like washing the hands as many times a day as you can bear, you know, keeping the distance, being conscious of the very basics that we were you and I talked about in, in mid February. Yeah. I think it's important not to become obsessive compulsive about hand washing. It's more after you touch your face or after you touch your mask or after you take off your mask. Unfortunately, our masks are, you know, sort of contaminated. So so we should be uh, washing our hands or cleaning them with alcohol after that. Um, so the basics are important. Also, staying outside, staying two metres from people, yeah. uh, getting our physical exercise. It's important to look after mental health, to say, what, what do we live for? What are our social values? What are our personal values? And how are we going to pursue those personal agendas? And, you know, if that's taken up... Uh, bass guitar and getting good at it and practicing now this is a good time to do that get yourself an instrument Rex, or you know talking more gaelic to the children so that they brush up on their language skills so so doing things together with the people you live with that you enjoy mm. whether it's family walks or cycling or climbing a mountain so i think i think we have to be positivist about it and say what do we cherish in our life and if that's climbing you know mount uh uh, there was one behind Skull that I went up. I'm trying. Sorry, I'm, Mount Gabriel's the yes, name. Yes. If that's climbing Mount Gabriel up to the radar domes with your friend, with your people you live with, that's great. You know, get out yeah. and do those things. Uh, we, we, yeah, we, we, we've been hearing that more lately as well. That you know, getting out and about because of what we now know about the virus exactly. is that it's less transmissible exactly. outside. That's 
lovely on a nice September day, but it's not going to be so nice in on, on a horrible wet December day. It, it, and it did drizzle a bit on the way down Mount Gabriel as well. So even in August, it can still drizzle. I mean that 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 is a real challenge. Maybe then the the pubs, the small pubs in in, in rural Cork, need a, a big uh, a big top tent with no sides on it, a roof to keep the rain off, and then there'd be outdoor drinking with the wind going through and a, and a roof to keep the rain off. Actually, are you concerned about the pubs with the twenty first of September coming up? I, I do feel that it's important that the pubs do not die. I feel if we lose the Irish pub, the Irish pub is an international cultural icon that we've exported all over the world. It's a cherished, valuable part of our society. I mean, we can't just let them all go bust. So that means they have to start in some way, shape or form. And I think they are committed to following the rules and, and, and doing things safely. And that may mean drinking outside, sitting down at tables, table service, the servers wearing masks, and it may mean using those, you know, those little snugs and snooks that mm. they used to have where, mm. I don't know, maybe the women and the priest used to drink in That's right. a bit of bit of secrecy who knows who drank there but maybe we need to resurrect the the, the snugs where, where there's uh you know a bit of privacy and, and you're only with the people one one or two one family or maybe two at most together so i think it's not having large groups of people sitting together is the key just going drinking with uh, small numbers like as you said six uh, and keeping the numbers from different households small so it's not and, and keeping socially distant so I, I think that's what seems to work in sweden sweden as you know their pints are eight eight to ten euros a pint i don't think we want to take that bit of sweden with us we don't that would put them out of business but I, so i think i think we have to have uh, sympathy and support for the publicans, the pub owners and other aspects of society that are very badly hit by this and we have to as a community support them. We can't just sort of say we're going to let that part of our culture and our life die because many of us enjoy it. We've got to find a safe way of doing it and to me that's a big top with a roof but no sides, yeah. table space two metres apart, almost like a Bavarian uh, you know um, yeah. tent other, other, ways of, other ways of doing things. Oktoberfest, it's a, wait, find a big field with a big tent and, and serve it all out side exactly one, one last word of advice uh, professor mcconkey for for listeners to avoid getting back to where we were on the 27th of march we must avoid that at all costs in 30 seconds one word of advice for the listeners it's about coordinated national policy so we do need the centralized coordinated action of five million of us who live in this country and the 1.7 1.8 in northern ireland so it's about having good national policy and i know Many of us dissenters may not like that idea of working together with others, but it does involve cooperative behaviour and working together. And there's, I don't know, 15 or 20 specific things that have worked partially in other countries that we could adopt. But it has to be all of us together and committed to sticking together in this. All right. Listen, always good to talk to you, Professor Sam McConkey from the Royal College of Surgeons. It's, <laughs> it's the cliche, but it's true. Tis in our own hands, lads. The Opinion Line on Courts 96 FM. With the Junction, Vickers Road, Supermarket, Solid Fuel Depot and a self-service laundrette. Your one stop for everything. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. 1850-715-996 is the number. The text to WhatsApp 83 396 Your email opinion at 96fm.ie. I mentioned the numbers that Cork has had over the last two weeks. And according to this table in the papers today, our fortnightly figure, which relates on the date of publication, was 39. Now, that is down because a week and a bit ago, we had a fortnightly figure we did here on the programme of about 42 or 3. That is down. But go back to June. Go back to a similar time in June. Coming up to mid-June, 
we had a fortnightly figure of four. So let us not forget that. We're gone up considerably from where we were in June. So even if we're very low on the table at the moment, we're still much higher than we were in June. But Dublin, Dublin's figures are really high. Limerick's figures are really high. And I know that uh, Professor McConkey is not in favour of things like lockdowns and all of that. We'd like to get around it a different way. I don't know, I have this notion that until they have the cajones to lock down Dublin for a fortnight, we're going to be in trouble. Limerick as well. Limerick is in serious trouble. They have a 63.1 figure per fortnight and in, in Limerick. And of course, their population considerably smaller than Dublin. So Dublin and Limerick, regional lockdowns. I, would you, for example, and again, I know that Professor McConkey was saying there are different parts of Dublin that are okay. There are various parts of the city and the county that are grand. I get that. But I, 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 I don't think I'd go to Dublin at the moment. I was there on my holidays. I spent two nights in Dublin in the course of my holidays. I don't think I'd go there now. I don't think I'd go there now. There's not much draws me to Limerick at any time of the year. Oh, I can see the dirty look coming through the glass. But you know yourself, I wouldn't be inclined to go to Limerick either. I wouldn't be inclined to go to Limerick either. I wouldn't be inclined to go to any place on this list that is well up high at the moment. Maybe that's something that we can control. By deciding when you, when you want to go somewhere, or you're thinking, well, I just go there for a weekend. What are the numbers like there? That's one way we can be conscious of this. 1850-715-996. Now, the schools are back. And, of course, since they went back, we've had... A number of cases and a number of schools, one or two of them had to close, classes closed, that kind of thing. Classes closed and pods were sent home. But so far, so far, it's been fairly stable. But principals are now calling on the HSE to establish a dedicated team within the public health system to work with the schools. So that when a school has a case, as look, let's face it, schools will inevitably have more cases. It's just the very nature of dealing with this. Schools will have more cases and the principals, the Irish Primary Principals Network is looking for a dedicated team to work solely and exclusively with the schools. Uh, Damien White is the current president of the uh, IPPN. Damien, good morning. Good morning. Uh, For example, when a school has a problem at the moment or a potential case, who, who does it deal with? Well, if it has a potential case, uh, it certainly is supposed to uh, contact the HSE and to get the advice from the HSE. And uh, in some cases that has been helpful, in some cases it has been timely, but there has been a lack of consistency and that's a big, big worry. And it's why we are calling for a dedicated out-of-hour support service, uh, peopled by uh, those with experience. It's not just somebody to answer a phone. We want somebody that that has... uh, access to the key information and is able to support the school leader who is faced with this issue uh, out of the blue in many cases and uh, uh, that they're able to reassure and that they're able to come on board very, very quickly and give the relevant advice, give the relevant support, give the relevant literature that can be handed out to try and uh, prevent uh, the, 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 the inevitable 
panic that is going to kick off in in an area when you know when, when word has spread that uh, that there is a potential case in in the area. Yeah. I'm you thinking know. In, in particularly in terms of Skullrida in Eglintown here in Cork. They they had confirmed a case in the last number of days. Their principal, uh, Mr. Kennedy, took it upon himself to just inform the relevant families and all of that. But are you suggesting that someone like him or anybody else should have a dedicated phone number to ring? whenever they get word and that literally there's either a team or an individual who just says, okay, leave that with us. Well, in a word, yes, uh, that you would want to have somebody to whom you can turn in the HSE who has the relevant uh, expertise and experience to support the school principal because when you are faced with this, uh, you know, and it's the same in, in, in cases, there are about 54 schools, I think, around the country where there has been a, a case. Now, the good news, and I think you did refer to it at the start, is that, 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 uh, that the opening of schools has gone relatively well. Uh, that it's seen as uh, that any there's very, very low uh, transmission, if any, in schools. Uh, that it's uh, that it, it that it has come uh, through community uh, transmission. But that, uh, nonetheless, where a school principal or a school leader is presented with the issue, that they have somebody to call. And that that could be any hour of the night or any hour of the day. Because we're, uh, as school principals, we've been asked to make ourselves available, make our phone number available, that there is a phone number available for the HSE to ring uh, and uh, for, for the, the, uh, the response to kick off. But that's, there has to be a quid pro quo in that. And we would expect the very same and the same level of expertise to be offered to us uh, from the HSE, uh, that it's done in time, that it's done, that it's, that it's immediate. The testing then is, is provided rapidly for the, the, where there are children. Because don't forget that like, this time, uh, about a fortnight ago, like we were talking about moving a, a, a million people back into schools. Like yeah. it's, 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 it's a Dunkirk-like movement of people, you know. And the school, school leaders have spent their entire summer holidays in schools preparing for that, looking at every little uh, issue, every little nuance that had to be dealt with within the school. I mean, every school is a bespoke place too, no matter how, how, how clear the guidelines yeah. are, they have to be managed and adapted to suit the particular school you're going into. And then... Um, and so we just want the same level of support back uh, from the HSE. And I know there has been uh, a working group set up during the week, and I'm aware of that, but uh, between the, the Department of Education and the HSE. But, you know, a, a working group needs to work very, very quickly because this is an issue that is a frightening principle. Since I came on the call, I have noticed on my emails in front of me, an email has come in from a principal extremely concerned uh, uh, there are people uh, out there really, really, really worried about what happens when the case presents or the likely case yeah. uh, in their school. Because have they not had have they not had Damien a set of written guidelines that they have in front of them that if they get word of a possible case they have an A, B, and C to follow? Don't they have that? Yeah, there are uh, there are guidelines, and certainly there are guidelines. Uh, 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 that, that we have helped to develop as a principal's network. We've worked along with the other education partners, unions and everyone else to develop uh, the best possible response we can. But we're not health professionals. And uh, in terms of uh, contact tracing and everything else and uh, who, to let, who to tell 
what to, if you, if, if you like, and not to create panic. It's a real, a real worry for principals. Uh, and as I said, time is the enemy of the process. The longer something goes on, the greater the panic that can set in in a community. And what the principal needs is that reassurance from the Department uh, of Health that, uh, 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 that they're there, they're on it, and that there is an approach, that there is uh, 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 an action that will kick in straight away, that will in, that will relieve the principal of some of that worry, that burden of worry. Uh, uh, because as I said, you don't want to be. It's a very very difficult position you're in as a school principal because you're you're hearing the information probably from the family where yeah. there's somebody affected. Uh, you're uh, not at liberty to disclose that information to anybody else uh, apart from uh, where, where you're dealing with, uh, with, with uh, the health uh, officials. You have colleagues at work. You have colleagues who are um, uh, in, the, the, in their own family situations are all very specific to them. Some of them are living with old parents. Uh, some children are living with elderly grandparents. You know, you have a whole set of circumstances that enter your head then how, you know, Somebody needs to know if there's a problem, but I can't tell them. Yeah. And uh, as I said, time is the enemy in this case. And we need that dedicated, out-of-hours support service from experienced HSE personnel who can uh, direct uh, straight away, can provide us with solid information yeah. uh, and can, can give, that, give good quality standard uh, communications that we can share with parents uh, 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 that, that will be reassuring in, in the circumstances. Damien, listening to you there, it sounds as if data protection is a flippant scourge at a time like this. Well, uh, the one uh, thing about data, prote- data protection is very, very important. But when there is a public health issue, uh, da- data protection is overridden by the concern for, for public health. And in this particular case, uh, you, 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 your, your concerns about public health are they override the the, the data protection issue. Uh, now you don't play fast and loose or hard and loose with, with with data, and I think we've all become accustomed to dealing with data and dealing with it carefully. But uh, it's in the interest of public health. You you may have to share uh, a list of names and so on. That is. Uh, uh, with, with with numbers and people who didn't want their data shared, but it's in their own interest and the interest of public health that you have to get that information out there. Mm-hmm. And in this case, it overrides. Any response to your call from, say, Minister Norma Foley or anybody else? Well, as as I mentioned there, that there was a dedicated uh, uh, working group set up. But what we want is that that is that that is. Uh, uh, moved on and moved on quickly, and it's probably more of a, uh, as much of a call to to Minister Donnelly to uh, get a, get our kickstart and make sure that we have that that appropriate response, that rapid response, that that that, that, that we have somebody to turn to okay. out of hours. Okay. I, we're available as a principal's leader. I'm available 24 hours to our members. I get emails late at night. I respond to them. I get phone calls. I respond to them. We want the same level of service now from the uh, from from the HSE, and I think it, it uh, needs most. I think it's a green jersey time. I think that we're we're all wearing the green jersey. I'm absolutely not saying that the HSE aren't, but I think that this is a very big 
in many ways a big social experiment to see how schools get on yeah. and it needs the appropriate support. Okay, leave it there. Thanks very much. That's Damien White. He's the president of the Irish Primary Principles Network. And that his point is you bring back the schools, you bring a million people back into the schools. Surely there should be a dedicated team within the public health network of the HSE that if Damien or one of his colleagues sees a problem, like for example, in the school, the Eglantine school, a few days ago when they realised there was a problem, there should have been a dedicated 24-hour team that their principal, Mr. Kennedy, who I believe did a marvellous job, should be able to pick up the phone and say, hi, this is such a school and I'm such a person, I'm the principal of such and such a school, we have a problem. And that team should be able to say, okay, we'll take it from here. That's all they're asking for. And with a million people involved, it doesn't sound like much, does it? 1850-715-996. Speaking of education, uh, here's an interesting note from history. 10th of September, 1966. This day, 54 years ago, a man called Donna O'Malley uh, announced that the post-primary education system will be freely available to all families. Free post-primary education for all families announced on this day, 54 years ago, 10th of September, 1966. Now, in 1999, John Bruton, who was Taoiseach at the time, then said that the, the Celtic Tiger had been directly descended from that decision. Don't know if you can tie the two together, but it was a, a big day in our history. 1850-715-996. Just need to get a break. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the indoor self-service laundrette. Now at the Junction Vickers Road. Every day washing and drying, done within an hour. Selfservicelaundry.ie <laughs> The Quartz 96FM music panel gives you the power to pick our playlist. Click 96FM.ie now. 96FM.ie now. Take the 10-minute survey and you could win a 100-euro shopping voucher. The power to pick what we play. Pick what we play. Join the Quartz 96FM music panel. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or see 96FM.ie. This is Court's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 9696. On Court's 96 FM. We'll catch up with Moira O'Sullivan from the Dog Action Welfare Group. They have been fined, is it five times this year, for not having dog licenses for the dogs they're taking care of. That sounds a bit mad, Moira. Good morning to you. Hi, PJ. Um, yeah, it sounds a bit mad to us too. Uh, four what? times, twice in January and twice in July, um, our fosterers have been approached by um, county council dog wardens and um, given on the fast 100 euro fines um, for DAWG dogs. So what is the story? You obviously take a dog into your care, an yeah. abandoned or a abused dog, take them into mm-hmm. your care, look after them with the vet and stuff like that, and then mm-hmm. they'll be they'll be fostered uh, before they're hopefully rehomed to to a forever home. Exactly. And how is that covered in terms of licensing anyway? So we have a pack license, 
um, tax licenses are um, essentially um, a license to cover, you know, somewhere like kennels or which, you know, we, we rent kennel space. Um, so we have a pack license for our premises. Um, and in the past, um, as late as 2019, um, the, the Department of Veterinary Office have been telling us, or the District Veterinary Office have been telling us that our pack license is fine. That, that covers our dogs. That's no problem. Um, even though they are kept maybe off the premises, so some of them are in foster, um, we consider that sort of a temporary arrangement. Yeah. Our, we are based at our shelter, and the, the shelter has the pack license. In addition to that, we kind of question it under the legislation because you have 28 days before you have to get a license for a stray anyway. Yeah. And one of the dogs we've been fined for was a pug. So she was in very high demand. So she was with us for a total of five days after she'd been spayed. Right. So we couldn't have needed a license anyway. (laughs) So what the law or what the interpretation is that you have the pack license to look after all the dogs in your care. But if, if a dog goes out, say, to a foster home after surgery to recover mm-hmm. and get some TLC, that exactly. the, the foster carers are supposed to have their own license for that couple of days. It seems absolutely mad to us. It seems um, that they're sort of looking at the letter of the law and not the spirit. Um, there also seems to be a change because, as we said, they had previously told us that the pack license was good, that we should make sure that all of our fosters had a copy of the pack license ready to show an inspector if they came to the door. Um, and and now we're facing you know an extra four hundred euros at a time, of course, when our fundraising is way down. Um, we're starting to see the first COVID puppies coming back. Oh dear, oh no, that's another uh, day. That's another day entirely. No, another de- another the, story. Completely, the Department yeah. of Rural and Community Development is the relevant arm of government here. What do they say? They have a working group. Um, oh God, another one of those. I know. Which is apparently looking at national, um, formal national agreements for foster type arrangements. The last time we heard from them was in March. So you can imagine what happened in March. There's probably been something of a delay on getting that working group together. And all we're asking is that the, um, the county council basically respects the previous agreements they had with us until we get a response from this working group. Briefly, you've set up a change.org petition for people to support you. We have. We're really thrilled with our response. We've had um, over 1,600 signatures so far. Um, people are obviously quite exercised about this. Um, and yes, it's, it's to the Cork County Council um, and to the County Dog Warden Don Kelly, as well as the vets at Cork County Council. Okay, and people can find it on change.org. Cork okay. County Council, stop firing. I stop finding C D A G file. Put up, I yeah. suppose, D A W G, and it'll come up. Yeah. Yeah. Search, search for Cork D A W G, and it'll pop right up on change.org. Okay. Good to talk to you, Moira. Thanks very much. That's Moira O'Sullivan from Dog Action. <laughs> I, I love this. You know, that's the second working group I've heard about in twenty minutes. One from the schools, the school principals, and now this a, a working group. If we have so many working groups. Do you mind telling me why nothing works? <laughs> Am I the only person to be asking myself that question? Like, if we have so many working groups, how come nothing flippin' works? Dan is surprised that PJ let it slide when the Irish Primary Principals Network president said public health overrides privacy concerns. Surely the principals and the letter of the GDPR apply, and even if they do not, can we have it listed out explicitly what measures do not apply? Personally, I feel privacy must be. 
One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Protected. What I was making the point with Damien, Dan, was that when a principal has information about a possible case in the school community, he or she is limited, totally limited, by GDPR as to exactly who they can inform, which sort of hobbles them from the start in dealing with it. So you're looking at, here's how I deal with a case or a reported case. Here's the GDPR rules that apply and somewhere in the middle, the two have to meet. And his opinion was that public health should supersede the letter, the law of GDPR, which is a bloody scourge to work with. Trust me, it's a scourge. Even in this line of work, it's a scourge. But talk to people who have to work with GDPR. Talk to people who are, whose jobs have been affected by GDPR. And they'll tell you, it's a flipping scourge. On the topic of privacy as well, Android 11 is coming out now. So will that upset the COVID tracker again? Remember there was trouble with the Android and the COVID tracker app? It was burning up the battery and eating up the phone, eating up the the battery. I wonder will that be a problem again? Because we had loads of people, 80-something thousand people deleted the COVID tracker app off their phones because it was eating up the battery. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the indoor self-service laundrette. Now at the Junction Vickers Road. Open every day to save you time and money. Selfservicelaundry.ie Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. The Lear Quartet were due to play at Triscoll Christchurch at the end of March and the venue is very happy to announce that they'll now play as part of their celebrations of the birth of Beethoven. Two performances featuring a programme of Beethoven's string quartets will take place on Saturday, September 19th at 12.30pm and 3pm. Access all areas. Triscoll also has another couple of music events coming up in September with Ye Vagabonds and Cormac Begley playing on Saturday the 19th while the following Saturday the 26th of September Emma Langford is set to play. Tickets for these concerts are on sale now and you can get 
at them at triscolartcentre.ie Access All Areas Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing aaa at 96fm.ie Access All Areas With Culture Night Cork City Connect through culture for one day only on Friday, September 18th See culturenightcork.ie On Cork's 96FM Rent this is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. Now, later on this morning, I'll be talking to, or I have been talking to, uh, one of the Native American lacrosse players directly helped by the intervention of Ireland. We got in touch with a member of the team, and they're delighted and excited as all this. That's coming up a little bit later on. Speaking of things happening in other countries, we talked about this before a year or two ago where twinning arrangements with parts of Poland came under the spotlight. Uh, change.org, again, another petition. This is from LGBTQ Solidarity Ireland. Are asking for Cove and for Moy to break their twinning ties with two parts of Poland. One of them is Noah Deba, and the other is, and I hope I get this right, Kolbutsawa. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Now, I thought the Fomoy one had been dealt with before, but maybe not. Neve Sheehan is with LGBTQ Solidarity Ireland. Neve, good morning. First of all, why are these twinning arrangements a problem? Um, I suppose from our perspective, we think that twinning should also include values and not just be concerned with cultural exchange and economic ties. So we want a clear statement to be made that we do support the LGBTQ community in Poland. And what is wrong about these areas, particularly Nubadeba and Kolbotsova? So they have adopted resolutions declaring themselves free of LGBTQ um, ideology. So essentially this resolution means that um, LGBT people in these areas um, do not feel accepted and can be intimidated um, in their hometowns. So you've now written to the municipal districts of Cork County Council dealing with Cove and dealing with Fomoy? Yes, yeah. Okay. Any response yet? Yeah, so we've had some very positive responses. Um, both um, councils have written to their um, twin towns in Poland, but they haven't received any positive responses yet and um, we think that the Formoy and Cove should move from suspension of their twinning to termination. Yes, because Noah Deba, I think, and Formoy that was suspended, was it not? Yeah, previously? it has been suspended but they, have, they haven't they have made moves to terminate it just yet. And has, and the one, has Cove's step. twinning arrangement been suspended? No, it hasn't. They're waiting on clarification from um, Kolbasoa to clarify their position on the LGBT free zone but we think no response is quite a telling response in this case right. and um, more action should be taken by the Cove councillors. So that's that, that's why the Fomoy one sprung to mind because there was the suspension of the, the arrangement with Noah Deba. Yeah. Now can yeah. Fomoy just write to fragments like the mayor of Noah Deba and say we're not twins anymore, goodbye? Is that possible? Yeah, so so other um, cities in Europe have done the same. There's an example of a town just north of Utrecht in the Netherlands that have done it and another town 
in France have done it as well, citing that. Um, Oops, is that lion? Are you okay there, Neve? Hello, Neve. Agreed upon for a long time, and this can be just cut. Okay, your line is your, your line is collapsing there, Neve. So I'm, I might as well leave it at that because we've we've got the gist. The two towns, Formoy and Cove, twinned with areas of Poland, Formoy, Nova Deba, uh, or Nova Deba, and Cove with Kolbasova. And those particular areas have adopted a particular stance on LGBTQ, uh, creating what the groups like this LGBTQ solidarity would describe as a hostile place for anyone who's not heterosexual or committed to so-called natural families. This came up with Formoy. So Formoy suspended its twinning arrangement, but it hasn't actually cancelled it. That's why it... Uh, rang a bell with me. Cove is still officially twinned with Kobosova. We'll follow it and see where it goes, but change.org have the petition if you want to get stuck into that. 1850-715-996. Debenhams, um, they're supposed to leave the sit-in today. They've said they will leave the sit-in at half past 12 today. The strike continues and the protests continue and the picketing, I believe, will continue. But the actual sit-in, which was just for two days, ends at half twelve today. Uh, Shane from Blackpool was on to say, I'm on Patrick Street right now outside Debenhams. And the sign reads that the Taoiseach has let us down badly. And we're supposed to have a cork Taoiseach. He's a joke, says Shane. Where is he this morning? He's most certainly not showing his support for the workers. I'm very angry looking at these women outside Debenhams. Uh, thanks for that. Well, Shane, he's in Cork tomorrow, as far as we know, for a number of different engagements. Uh, hopefully we get an opportunity to catch up with him. But here's what he said in the Dáil the other day. The treatment of the Debenham workers has been uh, very, very shabby and shoddy uh, and unacceptable. Which is nice, but you kind of wonder what he's going to do about it, which is kind of what Shane is asking and what they're asking. Some photographs on Facebook in the last day or two from Councillor Marcia Dalton. She says, this looks like one of those plastic ocean images from the internet, and indeed it does. It looks like, uh, you know these pictures, you get them, if you search for them, you'll find them. A sea of plastic on the on the water, anywhere in the world. You'll find it in particularly places like the Philippines and other parts of the world. Plastic, just islands of plastic and junk floating on the sea, but you didn't go have to go too far for it. Marcia, did you? Good morning. Where did you take that picture? No, PJ, I didn't. I, I went out for a quick kayak on Sunday because I'm lucky enough to live beside the shores of Cork Harbour here in Passage. And uh, I, it was just across the water on the shores of Carrigallo. Um And I was, you know, we're, we're familiar with lit around the shoreline, but this particular location is an area that seems, whatever way the currents run, to to you know collect floating debris, and I was just horrified. For for people who can't see the pictures, like what or haven't looked at, at the Facebook, what um, amount of there is it? Does it cover square yards or does it cover? Oh God, um, certainly. Jeez, oh, I'm not very good at dimensions. Um, it was low tide. Right. And it was a low, low tide, if you know what I mean. Um, it's there on the beach. Yeah, it's there on the beach. So it was entrained 
all the way from the low tide line up to the top of the beach. It was at its most intensive at the top of the beach. The lighter stuff like crisp wrappers and, and, you know, tinfoil and that kind of thing, that was entrained in the seaweed. And then, so that would obviously have been re-engaging with the tide as the tide came in. The heavier stuff further up the beach was probably thrown in by previous storms and probably wouldn't have re-engaged with the water quite so easily until the next storm. Um, But it was all the way down as far as the water's edge. This is bottles, cans and other such other such rubbish on on uh, now now we know that there have been people partying uh, during the summer on is it luck or lucky beach can you say luck luck look it's it's a derivative of luck because it's luck i have you okay so we call it luck okay because I, I i can never know is it luck or lucky so it's, I know. it's, 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 it's luck there've been parties there during the summer and a litter and a lot of beaches have had a, a litter problem from from parties yeah, a lot of beaches have a litter problem, but luck was sort of rediscovered during lockdown. Um, it was a beach that probably wouldn't have seen so much of the traditional summertime young person partying before. Yeah. But because it's within two kilometres of a lot of settlements here, it was rediscovered during lockdown. Yeah, I, I think was, I spoke to a young mum actually who who took her her kids down there for a walk because it was in, within their two kilometres or maybe five kilometres at the time. Yeah. And she was horrified by the amount of litter down there. It's a magnificent spot and it was in response to the litter that was being left behind that Ring of Skiddy people came together and formed a Tidy Towns group and they've provided bins at the beach now and they're cleaning it regularly, regularly, regularly. And they were devastated then last week to see that their efforts had been sort of spurned by another party over the weekend. But again, they cleaned it up. But what what I saw on the shores of Carrigalow, it's not just beach litter, which, you know, we see at Luck, we see at Myrtleville, we see at Fountains, and we see at all the beaches, yes. which is horrific. I did a beach clean myself in Garrettstown the other day when I was down there, and, and just because I saw it and I was able to, to do it and I had the stuff in the car, it's more than that, PJ. It's stuff being washed out through the sewers from the city. It's carelessness when roadworks are happening anywhere from the city right down to the, the, the mouth of the harbour. It's like it's so much yeah. that's contributed to that visual waste. And that's only the visual stuff. That's not the tiny stuff we can't see. Yeah. And it was who's, just so scary. Whose responsibility is this? Now, I, I don't mean the volunteers that go around doing their best to help. People like yes. yourself and others, you know, they do their level best to help. And you have great groups of people in all the little villages and towns. But whose overall responsibility is it? Like, Is it the Port of Cork? The Port of Cork, that's, that's an interesting one now. And um, one of the biggest problems in my experience in Cork Harbour is that division of responsibility is, is quite fragmented. So you've got the county council owning some areas of foreshore. You've got the department owning other areas of foreshore. You've got the county council responsible for littering. You've got uh, the Port of Cork is responsible for, say, commercial traffic on the water with some recreational responsibilities too. Um, there's a whole division of responsibility. It's everybody's job and nobody's job at the same time. Yeah, yeah. So truthfully, the ones who pick up the bulk of the load are the volunteers. Like in Carrigalow, Cove Tidy Towns Littlebix. They Littlebix with the Carrigalow residents. They do big beach cleanups in Little Island. It's the same shores of Little Island are destroyed with litter, yes. primarily from the city. And the Little Island Clean Coast group is really active. But again, it's volunteers. And we, we just, like, we have to somehow go back to source. 
Mm. I suppose sources who puts it in there and obviously industry does, obviously there's wit, but individual things like walking along and chucking your Coke can or your sandwich wrapper, chucking it in the ditch. That's where it starts, isn't it? It starts there, yeah. It starts with personal responsibility at every age. And, you know, you hear people talking about teenage parties and, yeah, okay, we've got a major problem with that kind of littering. But it's not just that kind of littering. It's adult stuff too. Those of us in tidy towns all along the harbour and actually it's at its most relevant in Ring of Giddy where they get thousands of people coming in every day to work because it's a centre of significant employment. And they litter pick along their roads, coffee cups, um, food wrapping every day because people coming in, obviously not everybody, but, but lots, dispose of stuff out the windows of their cars. Yeah. So it's not just young people, it's older people, it's all of us. I would hasten to suggest, Marcia, that all that younger people are probably more responsible these days. You know, I've been banging on about this for donkey's years. uh, What we do to our beaches when we go there for the day on the few days of the year in, in Ireland where we can spend the day on the beach. The amount of junk that we leave on the beaches after us. Why people can't just bring a plastic bag or bring a container, bring the flipping litter home with them. Where's our personal responsibility? How do we get people to do that? I don't know. I don't know. I have to say I was overwhelmed to the extent of almost hopelessness by what I saw on Sunday. You know, we do, in Crosshaven, they're very active with Three from the Sea, which is a fantastic initiative. And we do clean coast cleanups once a year, which is great. But honestly... You look at that volume of stuff collecting, 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 you go, oh, we can't tackle this. You know, as volunteers, we just can't do this. No, someone's got to be more responsible. We get called to say that there's a dredger working in the harbour at the moment. Now, it's only dealing with things like sand and silt. But what's actually happening is that it's picking plastic litter from the seabed that has long since settled or from the bit of the harbour and because it's only dealing with sand it's, this, it's, it's literally stirring it back up into the current possible it's possible um, yeah, the, the port but if it didn't get there in the first place if it wasn't down there in the first place it couldn't stir it up yeah I mean that's possible but honestly the volume of stuff that was there um, on the shoreline like, it's not just from stirring up by the dredger you know Mm. Um, we did a big beach clean there a few months ago on the Passage West shoreline and things like wet wipes uh, I think that was probably the stuff we found in biggest concentration over a two kilometre stretch we collected 35 bags of rubbish and mm. the most um, predominant in unde- un, um, decomposable litter was, was wet wipes and that's us, you know, that's from our bathroom Yeah, <laughs> like we blame industry and we blame this and that and the other but realistically, the book starts and finishes with you having a cup of coffee down in, like you said there, Tom Fahey Park. Yeah. If you walk away and leave that cup, it's in the tide. It's in the tide. Unless somebody wearing a high-vis vest with Passage West Tidy Towns on the back of it comes along and picks it up first. It's in the tide. What's wrong with us, Marcia? I don't Why know. Why can't we do the it. small things right? We expect others... It. so know, easy. We want, we want policy. We want international policy and all that. Why can't we do the small things right, like take our own junk home? I don't know. I don't know. But we really need to create awareness. We are so lucky we've got such a magnificent asset on our shoreline. 
Um, and like it's the making of Cork City and County, that harbour. It's the basis of what established Cork City. And we we just need to cherish it and mind it and remember that all of our everyday actions from the bathroom to the road affect that harbour. Okay. All right. Good to talk to you. Thanks very much. That's Councillor Marcia Dalton. Can I bang my drum again? And we talk all about climate change and green movements and this and that and littering and finding the polluter and polluter pays and all this old stuff. If we don't start ourselves, you, me, Fergal, Deirdre, everybody, your kids, my kids, if we don't start ourselves a policy of taking our own stuff away and disposing of it properly, what is the point of all the policy in the world? There isn't any. Yes, I am renting. I've been renting about this for years. Absolutely for years. So sick of seeing it. 1857-15996. Okay. Um, I want to read this. This came in from Kiran. Uh Before I go to a break, and I just want you to sit and think about it. Bah humbug, young people. If young people were dying as our elderly and chronically ill people, would they take care of themselves? The youth of today have no regard for anyone, only themselves. They're a disgrace. This is the main reason why COVID-19 is rising again across the country. They don't give a damn. Thank you, Kiron. Not so sure the evidence supports that, Kiran. Not so sure it does. 1857. In fact, talking to Pete Lunn yesterday, the professor from the ESRI, it absolutely doesn't support that. Most young people, like most people in general, are being very careful and very good. Young people have been very badly affected by this. They've had their lives ripped out from under them. Every kind of social life they have, every kind of activity they do, everything. They've lost loads. Um, There are a few of them doing stupid things, but for the most part, and I can speak in particular for the young people that I know through my son and my daughter, they have been extremely well behaved right throughout all of this. So I think you've been unfair, Kieran. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. 1850-715-996 Text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696 Email opinion at 96fm.ie uh, I'm reminded that there is of course a whole junior cert subject devoted to the political system and how it works It's called C, they call it these days CSPE They actually do exams in it now uh, Civic social and political education but maybe they do know they should They should know about the system now then but do they we'll, I guess we'll only see that when the, the kids doing their junior cert now come through to voting age and, and put what they learnt into into practice whether they'll vote at all there, these are the there since she did reduce. There wasn't an exam. So, so we all called it. We just called it civics, and it was done. It was back then, I guess, when I when I was in school, it was called civics. Uh, we learned it. We never had an exam in it, though. Yeah, same curriculum. It, most of actually, what used to happen, I, what used to happen back in my time, 
and back in other people's time was that uh, that particular s- subject was often ditched for extra French or extra maths or extra Irish. Happened all the time, which is why we had to go and learn about our own political system. But I digress as I'm as I'm prone to do. There was a lovely story, a lovely sports story in the last week or so. I don't know if you know anything about the sport of lacrosse. If you ever read uh, books by Enid Blyton about schools, boarding schools, you'd have come across the sport of lacrosse because it was the sport in Mallory Towers and it was the sport in St. Clair's and all those strange places. I know I did. I read those books. Bloke and all that I am. I read those books. Lacrosse was played in all those school books. Uh, so I thought it was a British sport. I knew little or nothing about it. I had seen it played on YouTube, as you'll find it out there on YouTube. So I didn't realise that A, Ireland had a team, and that B, we were actually considered pretty good at it, to the point where in 2022 we were due to take part in the international word games of lacrosse. And now we won't be doing that. The Irish team has withdrawn from the International World Games of Lacrosse to allow a team called the Iroquois in. The Iroquois. Who were the Iroquois? They invented it. They are Native Americans. The various tribes invented the game of lacrosse. I didn't know that. Did you know that? So the Irish have withdrawn from the tournament planned for 2022 to allow in the Iroquois. Now, when I heard that, you can talk to all the officials and all the coaches and all the suits in the world. But talking to a player is the thing you need to do. So, Fergal Berry did a little bit of legwork and we caught up with one of the players on the Iroquois squad. And we've been having a chat. I'm joined by Brendan Bombery, who I'm told you go by the name of the Bomber, and you're from Ontario, Canada. Is that it? And you're a member of the Iroquois team. Have I got the name right? Correct. Is that the right pronunciation? Yep, you got it perfect. Okay. So I would have grown up reading about lacrosse in books. I thought it was a British game. Tell me the history first of all of the game of lacrosse. It is fascinating. Yes, it was a. Uh a game that was passed down to our ancestors um, as, as a medicine game. And it was, it came around when, you know, nations were fighting against each other and we figured, you know, there's no point in us killing our own people off. We'll have a game to kind of settle our disputes. And so it was made as that and, you know, games would be played for, you know, weeks on end and, you know, the, the fields would be for miles and miles and there'd be hundreds of players kind of like basically like a war but instead of that and um you know our traditional meaning which is a uh it means a little brother of war and that's where that came about and it has transformed into i guess it was always a, a medicine game for us that was like i said explain what you mean by medicine game brendan okay so a medicine game is that, that that's our meaning towards it it's a, that feeling you get when you play you know, lacrosse. My my medicine might be different than you know someone else who plays it. Who you know, it's not necessarily physically medicine. It's that feeling you get when you're playing the game. Okay. It's that feeling you're getting as a fan watching okay. the game and okay. how that makes you feel. That's okay. a good medicine. 
Okay, so it's a positivity thing. Yeah, the the origins yeah. sound very much like uh, hurling, our native game, mm. in that it used to be played with huge groups of people for long mm. miles and miles. So th- there's certainly a, a tie in there. Now, talk to me about the World Games, the, the games that were due to take place in, in uh, that are due to take place in Alabama. Like, as the mm. inventors of the game, you would expect to be there. Why are you not there? Why were you not there? Well, the whole thing came about was, you know, it was the World Games and they kind of partnered up with the IOC to make it into a a qualifier for an Olympic qualifier. So they had a set prerequisites that you had to meet to be able to, you know, be eligible for the tournament and they said that we did not meet those. Right. So upon review, you know, our people, our board, we kind of looked at it and you know we we decided or we that we we should be eligible. We should be there. We're in the vendors of the game, yeah. and if we're not going to be there, you know lacrosse shouldn't be set up on that stage without us. Because you're not a country. You're a people. You're, you're not. You're not. We're, we're we're a nation, but we're not we're not a physical cr- country. Yes. So we are a nation, but so when the settlers first game, we're we are divided into you know different sectors of their country. So there's there's some of us that are in the U.S. and there's some of us that are in Canada. Yes. You know, and we have we are our own you know sovereign people. Yes. You know, we don't follow their rules, we don't follow their laws, all that kind of thing. We're we are our own people. Yeah. So the Irish were to go to the games, got a, an invitation to the games, and it was a huge thing for the Irish team. They've now backed away to let you in. How did you find out about that? You know, I, I saw about it from a press release through their, you know, I, I believe their board member, which, you know, we, we never, ever expected to for that to happen. You know, we, we want lacrosse, we want everyone to be a part of this. And we didn't we didn't want to, um, you know, exclude anybody. But, you know, for them to do that and show that sacrifice is, you know, it, it shows the character of the Irish people. And, you know, as the Iroquois Nationals, I know we, we can't be any more grateful and we can't, you know, there's there's no really no words to say for us more than, you know, it's, it's just an incredible honor for them to, uh, you know, to allow us to do that. You've changed your logo to reflect the green of Ireland. Who's tweeting in Irish? Yeah, I know. I, I think that um, uh, there was just some communication between some, you know, Irish players and our, our, our media member and, you know, that was just a, 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 a sign of, you know, gratitude and honor to show that how grateful we are. And, um, you know, that, that was a big thing. And I think that'll be another big thing going forward. The, the games that you'll now be playing in, they're in a, kind of an Olympic qualifier then for, is it 2024? Um, it, it's not set in stone yet, but, you know, there's a lot of things to kind of work through. Yeah. But it's, I don't think it's going to be for 2024. I think it'll be 2028 if we are able to, you know, get through all the hurdles to get there. Great. Yeah. Now, tell me a little bit about yourself, because with a name like Brendan, there's got to be an mm-hmm. Irish connection. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, I have my own native name, which is Gohono Gaio, which means old boat. But we also we have our, our English names. Um, you know, there's no specific meaning behind it. I think my mom... Uh, you name me, you know, there's a famous hockey player named Brendan Shanahan and a famous actor, Brendan Fraser. So, you know, right. that's where I got my name from. Well, Brendan Shanahan would definitely have had an Irish connection and Brendan Fraser for sure. Can, mm. can we adopt you? Do you mind? <laughs> yeah, maybe for a couple of weeks. Yeah. Well, I think that the whole Irish nation here would be following the Iroquois when the 
tournament comes around. It's it's quite a way away, but but I think we'll all have to learn a bit about lacrosse and the rules of lacrosse. It's a very fast game. Yes, it's a very fast pace. I think that's what, you know, it, it kind of gets overlooked as, you know, the bigger sports hockey, soccer. It kind of gets overlooked, but, you know, I think when people see it, you know, for the first time, they really get, you know, fascinated by it. Like you said, I think that, you know, that fast pace and the, the skill that's required, it, it really draws people in. Well, delighted to speak with you on the opinion line, Brendan. Good luck when it comes around. And I think it's a sign of friendship from our country to your people that this has happened. Of course. I, I thank you very much for having me. And, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be an awesome thing. And I know that, you know, there'll definitely be some things in the future where, you know, we will be able to help your people with the game. Listen, it's been wonderful to talk to you. And thank you very, very much. Thank you very much. Nice guy. That's Brendan Bumbery. They call him the bummer. Don't have to go just to carry for bombers. The bomber, Brendan Bombery, who plays for the Iroquois Nation in the sport of lacrosse. And he's one of the players, presumably, who'll be on display when that tournament takes place in 2022. Ireland won't be there, but guys like him will be there. And they're the people who invented the game. To be a bit like, I guess, having a world championship of hurling. And we're not allowed to take part. To be a bit like that, like, wouldn't it? 1850-715-996 on Enid Blyton. I mentioned Enid Blyton and that lacrosse comes up in all the books. Happy days, PJ. Talk boxes and midnight feasts, the famous five, the faraway tree and the secret seven and the three investors. I listen, I could go on all day, D. I go on all day. We we miss Enid Blyton. We we really miss Enid Blyton. She was great to read. My mother, when I was... Married and had children, my mother went up the attic at home and dragged out my own Enid Brighton books. And it was, God, did I read that many? I gave them to my, my own kids and they kind of said, yeah. 1850-715-996. Back to plastics and litter and um, some stuff prompted by my call with Marsha Dalton. Next. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the indoor self-service laundrette. Now at the Junction Vickers Road. Every day washing and drying done within an hour. Selfservicelaundry.ie Oldies and Irish on Cork's 96FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. morning. Welcome along to the program. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. With Blackpool Shopping District. Thanking you for keeping local business going. Pure Cork. Pure local. Pure Blackpool. Cork's 96 FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96 FM. So I was talking before 11 to Councillor Marcia Dalton, who put pictures up on Facebook of littering down around Carrigaloo. Uh, on the beach there and we talked about Luck Beach and we talked about the other places around the harbour that are plagued with litter and she was making the point that whatever you whatever you say, this comes back to the individual, the responsibility the personal responsibility of the individual. And she mentioned say Tom Fahey Park in passage if you leave a coffee cup 
after you there. It's in the tide and it forms part of the problem. And I was saying that I've been banging this drum for years that when we go to the beach or when we go for a picnic by the river or wherever we want to go with our children, why the hell can we not just bring our own stuff home? Daniel was on to say, Hi PJ, I've collected my daughter over the summer from Myrtleville. Uh, Okay, I know she shouldn't be camping there, but she was. But each time I collected her, the whole group's rubbish was in a black bag and taken home or put next to the or into the bins provided. Young people are well aware of the need to protect the environment. Yep, Daniel, I'm with you on that. It's not the young people who, who leave the beaches littered. It's people old enough to know better who leave the beaches littered, I would say, on a far more consistent basis. Now... Atacan, how are you, sir? How are you again, PJ? Good morning. And good morning to you. You have an idea where we might start to ease the, the problem. Yeah, um, I was just thinking myself, I was just listening on to your, uh, with Councillor Mercia Dalton, and she was talking about the littering in Myrtleville. And also, it's a particularly local issue for me, too, in Cork, North Central, because there is a huge issue of littering in particularly around the Black Pat area in Mayfield. Yes. And I think a solution to this is it is a personal responsibility to not litter, but at the same time it comes back to the lack of income and the income inequality from the privatisation of bin services that took place about 10 years ago and ever since it has been privatised off to private companies who just want to make a profit. So what I propose is an extra, for particularly for people in the north side of Cork, uh, extra maybe four or five euro a week in your rent, which can counter in for your bin charges and will end the privatisation of our bin services. And at, at the end of the month, if you charge four euro extra per week in your rent, that equates to around 16 euro a month. Right. And at the moment now, like, from my own situation, we're with a private company, Green Star, and, like, there's, for a month, you have to pay about 32 euro a month. Okay. And if, if my solution is proposed, 16 euro a month, that's double the price. 32 euros, double the price of what I'm proposing. So, so would I you be suggesting that the council take back the, the, the collection or, or maybe do a, do a deal, if it were, with the provider? Absolutely. I think particularly take back control of it because... I'm a bit sceptical of doing a deal with any provider because I think at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you have to have a situation where it's completely controlled by the council. And that would ensure like personal responsibility is a factor, of course, in littering. But at the end of the day, it comes back to income inequality and people in the north side of Cork face huge income inequality. It's okay to say it's personal responsibility to ensure you're not littering, which of course it is. But at mm. the same time, it comes back to the situation of if you have a lack of income, you can't afford a private bin service to pay 32 euro a month. Lots of people here in this, the north side are low income yeah. and they're on social welfare or, well, not everyone, of course, but yeah, some but people Large do. numbers. I get, I get yeah. the point you're making, Atikan. But in terms and of your own, your own family and, and your own 32 euro or whatever it costs a month, in my case, I have wiser, it's something similar where I live. But, like... It doesn't really matter who puts the bin outside the door as long as you learn as a child to put stuff into bins. And what I'm oh. getting at with regard to personal responsibility is why would we go to the beach or the park and leave stuff there? Why not bring it home and put it into that bin? 
Absolutely. I, I completely agree. It is your own personal responsibility and we need to come up with something that you have to like take your own personal responsibility for littering and of course at beaches not leaving not taking your stuff home or like I was always brought up to litter properly, recycle properly and you don't litter. There is no case you should litter and you're completely right to say that we should take our rubbish home. But at the same time, I think this mentality that of personal responsibility is completely true. But at the same time, I think we need to get out of this mentality of blaming everything, you know, rubbish and littering on young people and on people that even litter. I think littering is wrong, of course. Mm. But at the end of the day, I think some people don't tend to look at the barriers, the kind of background behind yeah. littering. But that again, I, I think, and, I, and this is based on both a view and observation, I think young people are far better than people a bit older than them for, for taking home their own stuff. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. At the end of the day, I don't want to you know, blame any particular group because I think we have a big, huge issue in this country of blaming one particular group and having an emphasis of a kind of an attitude of them versus us and all young people are not taking responsibility or all young people are not littering or even if it was the opposite way around now mm-hmm. and if let's say it was elderly people doing it I wouldn't be I wouldn't be calling for I wouldn't be using rhetoric like oh elderly people are dumping rubbish they need to take responsibility for themselves and they need to you know dump their rubbish in a proper way yeah, I read, read you a message that came in from Anne, uh, PJ. If we had big recycling bins at beaches like they have in most European countries, like Portugal, people would use them. Have you ever seen a dirty beach in the Algarve? No, they're spotless. It's the council's fault there are no bins. See, there's the problem. It's not the council's fault there are no bins. It's Anne's fault. She wouldn't take it home. Yeah, but it's true. But you see, there's always another side to the story. What Anne makes a point there is it's a good point. Like, I understand she should you should litter properly and always, but at the same time, like there is in the Algarve, like she gave an example there, there need, the council needs to have bins there, yes. and that would even encourage more personal responsibility and more you know awareness of the situation. And at the and as, as I come back to my old other solution, I think maybe putting bins around areas and you know in neighbourhoods and all that. I don't think that would be a great solution, but I think my solution of Charging four or five euro extra a week in people's rent is affordable yeah. and it would end the privatisation of bin services and it would ensure that people, like it would ensure littering decreases and at the same time our environment improves because I think that like we have a Green Party in government and they're talking about improving the environment and so far I've seen very little for them to improve the environment. So far all they've talked about is charging poor people for it like with the carbon tax, with, you know, the clothing and yeah. with a uh, ban on two-for-one meals. Yeah, well, so I'm sure, I think I'm sure that they defend that in, in, in their own way, but I get, I, I, I get your point, Atikan. So we need ch- you, you would be all for the reintroduction of public collection? Absolutely. I think always the public service always has the best interests of the people at heart because at the end of the day, a pri- privatisation always has the interests of profitability at their hands because obviously a person now that an individual that owns a private company is always wanting to make profit and they're not going to prioritize people's needs because at the end of the day they'll never survive in business so i think that 
the government and or public control of bin collection needs to be reintroduced and okay. quickly. And I think the Green Party, if they're serious about tackling climate change and the environment, they need to take this pro- proposal into consideration because at the end of the day, greenwashing and giving carbon taxes and all these plastic taxes is not going to do anything. At the end of the day, you have to improve our situation by having public control of littering. Okay. All right. Listen, great to talk to you again, Atikan. 1850 715 I see that land with a big... I, I, I guarantee we'll be dragging out the tapes of 2020 when, when that young man is elected to something very, very soon. He was here last week talking about the Leaving Cert, or a few days ago talking about the Leaving Cert, and he's now in college studying politics and mad to get into it. You can see where he's coming from. Jackie, you had a point to make. Good morning. I, I'm on low income. Right. I, ma- I manage my money. Yeah. When I get my money, a certain amount goes into my bank so I can pay my bills, I do my groceries, whatever's left, I can spend on. My bins are paid for every six months. Yeah. Not every month because I manage my money. Low income and I still manage my money. Yeah. Yeah. I don't go around buying takeaway coffees because I wouldn't. If I was going to get a takeaway stuff, I'd bring my own mug. Yeah. You know, it's just like, oh, when I hear people saying it's low income, it's not low income. It's probably people that have money and they're just, and even if I have stuff in my shed that needs to get rid of, I'll wait and it builds up to a certain amount and I'll get somebody properly to take them away. Yeah. No, I think the point that Ken was making was that sometimes on a low income, you mightn't be able to afford a private I can't collector. afford it. Yeah. I, can't, I have a private collector. I wouldn't mind if it went back to the council. I'd agree with on that point, yes. But my rent is paid in advance. My ES, I prepay ESB. All my bins are paid in advance. Mm. Everything mm. that I, every bill I have is always paid in advance. Then I do my groceries and whatever's left in. Might be able to go for a meal or something. Yeah. 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 It's just people need to take responsibility, which is what you're doing. Who do you think is the cause of the problem, though, Jackie? Everyone, everybody, people that buy takeaway coffees, mm. there, people that just go buy into pennies every day, spending every day because they can't steal the pennies buying clothes. Mm. I buy clothes. I bought. I last time I've been pennies in about a year ago. I bought clothes last. I think it was last September, mm. and I still have them. Oh yeah. No, yeah. I don't. I don't waste my money. I have two pairs of shoes. Two pairs. Yeah. I don't waste my money on stuff like that. Clothes, shoes, bags, this, yeah. that. I, I have to say I'm with you. I can't understand this idea of buying a shirt or, or, or a pair of jeans and wearing it half a dozen times and throwing it out <laughs> because there's a new one up on the shelf. It's no, I, 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 the clothes now I have on me, I bought them last September yeah, because yeah. I was after losing five stone and I was able Good to time. buy in pennies. And... Yeah. I have them clothes on me now and I bought them last September. <laughs> yeah, good for you. Cheers, Jackie. Thanks. 1850-715-996. Ever seen Strand Hill in Sligo, says Shanty. It's spotless. Never been there. Never had the pleasure. Maybe next year if they're keeping us at home again for the summer, we might head that neck of the woods. As you're talking about litter, oh yes, I have seen this. This started very early in the pandemic where we were looking at the dumping of things like gloves on the floor or on the ground 
as you're talking about later, would it be an idea to remind people you can't just chuck disposable masks around. The whole country is littered with them. It is. It is. Look into a ditch now and you'll find a mask inside in it. Take the blasted thing home. Dispose of it properly. Don't even get me started, says, is it Shaver? It's a nice name. Don't even get me started. It's not bins at the issue. Unfortunately, we just can't be helped. Every day during lockdown, my mum and dad were out in their high-vis vests within their two kilometres, picking up the litter on the roads that people had thrown out of their car windows. About ten beer cans, multiple coffee cups thrown out every single day. It's mad. People just dump bags of rubbish into the garden. 1850-715-996. The hotel industry is struggling to get back. The hospitality industry struggling to get back. Every element of it. And there's been a warning that there's 18,000 or more Cork jobs at risk over the way the industry is having to come back, over the rules governing hotels. Major warning gone out from the Irish Hotels Federation. We'll check up with them next. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the indoor self-service laundrette, now at the Junction Vickers Road. Open every day to save you time and money. Selfservicelaundry.ie It's huge. Historic champions of England, Liverpool, and it's here. What a free kick from Kevin De Bruyne. Join me, Trevor Welch, on 96fm.ie as we bring you the Premier League live exclusively online. This Saturday, it's Fulham versus Arsenal at 12.30, Crystal Palace versus Southampton at 3, and Liverpool versus Leeds United at 5.30. The Premier League Live Online, powered by TalkSport. Listen every Saturday by downloading the Cork's 96FM app or c96fm.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. It's a stark number. It's a huge figure to be predicting. But the Irish Hotels Federation is saying that over 18,500 hospitality-based jobs in Cork are under threat as the industry tries to recover from the effects of the pandemic. The general manager of the Kingsley, Fergal Hart, is also the chair of the uh, Cork chair of the Irish Hotel Federation. Fergal, good morning. Morning, PJ. That's a colossal number and a very stark prediction. How many people do work in hospitality in Cork? And, and so what kind of industries come under that umbrella? Well, I mean, we're you know with the with the recent survey that's been done there, we're talking about a hundred a hundred thousand jobs um, across the country have already been lost to PJ, and a further hundred thousand are, are are at risk, and of that, eighteen thousand six hundred are in Cork that are at risk as well. So it's it's a huge number. It's just it's an indication of the kind of the challenges really that that the hospitality uh, sector faces. And you know, up until recently, the, the Cork, Cork tourism supported twenty five thousand three hundred jobs. So eighteen thousand, eighteen and a half thousand of those jobs just gives you an indication of of where we're at at the moment. And are they jobs in hotels, guest houses, restaurants, Correct, yep. bars? Exactly. Yeah, right across the sector um, in hospitality. Primarily, obviously, the IHF represents the the uh, 
hotels and guest houses in, in, in Cork City and County. Um, we have just over 65 members so um, that's what that's what our survey is, is is based on but you know the whole the whole sector is uh, is facing these challenges now the hotels have been open again since late june early july and there have been changes admittedly i've stayed in one or two places there there have been changes has there been too much change forced upon your members um you know i, sp- I suppose we've 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 brought about we you know from the start we've supported all of the all of the directives from from government and we've put in place all the changes that you're referring to there. Um, we've proven over time there have been no clusters uh, reported in hotels or whatever else. So those those changes have really had an effect. I think from the guests' perspective, you know, the, the, certainly the feedback that we're getting here in the Kingsley, and and with all of my my contacts in the industry, is the feedback is very good. You know, people people are really appreciate the efforts that have been made. They feel safe in in hotels and guest houses. Um, you know, so they they are seeing the, those those changes probably will take a little bit of time to get get used to. Um, but people are understanding now that they have to you know book in advance for for all their meals, even for breakfast. They have to book the, the even the swimming pools, spa treatments, and everything else all, all in advance. Um, but people are seeing that, and also obviously with the staff wearing PPE, um, you know that all of that was was it was it was a huge change at the start when we opened first on on 29th of June. But really, people are becoming more kind of used to that now, and they're seeing it across the board in society, and and they're understanding the the, the reasons for it. How is occupancy? Occupancy is, is it's a real challenge. No, no, no question about it. Um, we're looking at a national room room occupancy of only twenty four percent for for September and October. Wow. Um, uh, sorry, Fergal, is that twenty four percent of what would be a full hotel, or twenty four percent of a hotel that uh, is taking, you know, is, is following guidelines? Like you've all had to reduce your occupancy, haven't you? Yeah, I mean that's 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 twenty four percent of what's on the books at the moment, PJ. So, um, you know, part of the the guidelines is yes that you're sensible in terms of the numbers of people that you're that you're bringing into your hotel, and if that requires you then to limit the number of rooms that you sell because you don't have the space on the ground floor, for example, in public areas, then that's that's a measure that has to be taken. But that twenty four percent is the figure that's on the books at the moment wow. for for September and October, and you know, in the normal circumstances, last year you would have been looking probably eighty five to ninety percent there so that's that's another wow. indication of where we're at now stories hit the headlines across the summer of some places charging colossal amounts of money for family groups over three or four nights of staycation and, and all of that but looking up and down any good scan of the hotel the price of a room is very reasonable at the moment there's great, there is great value out there, you know, and I think every, everyone is, is, is doing everything they possibly can to, to survive and, and to ensure their business is viable for the future, PJ. So, you know, I, I, I would absolutely encourage everyone to, 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 to shop around and, you know, those facilities are, are there now with the websites and everything else. You can, you can look and you can see there, there is great value out there. And, and people, you know, from, from our perspective in hotels, we just want to ensure that our businesses and that, that the people that we employ, that we can maintain that for the future and that we can continue, you know, with, with the same or with similar uh, staff numbers as we had previously. But what about really, the loss with, of weddings and functions? That must be huge. It's been massive. It really has. Like it's, you know, this six person limit, for example, on, on, on small gatherings, 
weddings were still allowed to have up to 50 people, including staff, um, for, for, for wedding functions. But really, the, the six-person the six person limit has been a massive uh, change <clears throat> in recent weeks for hotels. Obviously, that, that limits you in what you can do for, for everything from communions to confirmations, graduations, all family gatherings, even just a family coming for Sunday lunch. You know, if, if, if there are seven people in the family, for example, they can't sit together. So. Is it as rigid as that, Fergal? It really is, yeah. Crikey. It really is, you know. And that's, uh, you know, and as I say from the start, we've 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 um, done our utmost to to absolutely meet all the regulations and to ensure that everyone is safe and that and that we're fitting in with the guidelines. But in particular, that rule uh, with the, with the six person limit that has been, you know, a, a huge hit on on all hotels really because that's that's the that's the bread and butter really of of, of yeah, hotels like and you know some, hotels someday are, dinner someday dinner with Nana. Nana's the, seven, yeah. Nana's the seventh guest. What do you do? That's right. That's right. And and even for you know hotels are really are the focal point of their local communities and rules like that and regulations like that that probably you know I'm sure were put in for the right reasons but have had fairly probably unintended consequences and really they're 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 putting hotels under massive pressure because that's that's as I say that's the bread and butter of of all our business it's nothing it's nothing spectacular yeah. but they're the type of um, of gatherings and functions that you I, need to I, I think what I'm hearing Fergal is is a stark warning to you that we understand the public health requirements we understand what's necessary but don't this won't this we can't sustain this Correct. Yeah, yeah, and and we're asking government. You know, we're, 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 we've asked for for a number of things. The review of the six-person limit obviously is key, and that's that's for the short term. And um, the employment subsidy is something PJ that was put in, as you know, uh, during during the, the the lockdown, and that that has been a fantastic benefit to hotels to to help them to survive. Now, as you know, that's that's changed now to the the, the employment wage subsidy, which is a reduced benefit. Um, again, we're, we're thankful for that, and we do appreciate it. But it is something that we're asking government to look at because you know it's not going to be su- sufficient for hotels to to maintain their staff across the winter months because with the <clears throat> with the levels of business you know I'm talking there about September and October but once you get into November December and January you're talking really bleak figures, you know, and, and hotels left with with, yeah. with very little choice, really, as to, as to what to do in the future. You can see where those job losses will come from. Thank you very much, Fergal Hart, uh, General Manager of the Kingsley and Local Chair of the Hotels Federation. I got a complete brain fart when I go, when I was trying to remember the name of the Louise O'Neill uh, book and, and play that went global, uh, that was asking for it. Of course it was. I got a complete blank. That's because last night I spent, and yesterday, the last couple of days, I spent hours thoroughly enjoying her new book, After the Silence, which I said earlier on is a, a rockin' good read. Louise, good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me on. It's it's a wonderful story. Now, I, I, I was kind of smiling when I picked it up originally and I looked at it and I thought, here's a novel set in West Cork, where you are from and where you live, about an unsolved murder in West Cork with all sorts of finger pointing, all sorts of rumours about an Englishman. Am I seeing an influence here? <laughs> well, I mean, I have to be very clear and, and say that the the case in this book is obviously, there, I mean, there are no similarities of course. between that and of the, course. You know, the Sophie Tuscan de Plantier case. But, you know, I think like everybody else um, in Ireland, when the West Cork podcast went live in 2018, I was bet into it. Like I binged that series in about 24 hours. Um, And afterwards, I think I just couldn't stop thinking about the idea of 
you know, this unsolved murder that haunts the Irish people. And then you have this team of documentary makers coming in from abroad, you know, with their English accents and living in this very small, tightly knit community, asking questions and trying to uncover secrets. Some people don't want to be uncovered. And I thought, God, that's a very good premise for a book. And yeah. here we are. It's set on the island of Inish Rune. Mm-hmm. The island of secrets is how it would translate Australia. Yes, exactly. A, a little bit literal, but you know, I thought that most of the people reading it would be in the UK. Marvelous. So maybe they wouldn't quite uh, be able to translate it. And it's about the murder uh, of a girl called Nessa Crowley. And that the murder happened on the night of a bad storm where nobody could get on or off the island. And to this day... Suspicion and secrets and questions and finger pointing and everything is going on there. But there's a lot more besides. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think I was, I wanted to make, you know, this is a psychological thriller um, and I wanted to really lean into, you know, the glamour of this family. You know, they're, the Kinsellas, they're incredibly wealthy yeah. and attractive um, and have this very passionate relationship um, and there's this world-renowned artist retreat centre on the island of Inishroon where, you know, the most famous actors and artists and, and writers from all over the globe, you know, come to this island um, to work there. And then when this murder happens, it's the night of this wild party. Um, and I suppose, you know, when one of the, it's one of the local women um, who is found dead, um, and I suppose the impact that that has on their lives, not just on the community, um, but I suppose this family in particular. So I said I wanted that to be this really compelling, you know, page-turning story. Um, but because it's me, I suppose, um, I was still interested in exploring issues that I think are important. Well, well um, that's where I was going to go, because the, the relationship between the two protagonists, as it were, Keelan and, and her husband, Henry, like Keelan has come from one previous very violent mm-hmm. marriage into another marriage which in the first opening chapter looks idyllic and wonderful and as you read deeper into the book you go oh god this henry's a bit of a (laughs) b-o-l-l um yeah i suppose you know i think that as a society that we've come to understand that physical violence is wrong um you know i think we're less likely to dismiss that as a private family matter now Whereas the subject of coercive control, um, which has been a real topic of conversation, I think, over the last number of years, because, you know, people who are working in this sector and activists um, and charities that are dealing with um, victims of abuse, I think, have been trying to make coercive control illegal. Um, and it, that legislation was passed in 2019. And I suppose the thing is, is that there's still a real lack of understanding around this mm. because it's a persistent pattern of controlling or threatening behaviour that can be physical, it can be emotional, yeah. it can be financial, it can be sexual. And I suppose for a lot of the time, for people looking in, you know, when there are no visible bruises or there are no broken bones, it can be very difficult to identify yeah. that form of abuse as abuse. And the way you wind it into the story, and I'm complimenting you on this, is that you're you're enraptured in the story and where it's going to go and what 
Jeff, what is the secret? But in the middle of it, there's this exploration of what actually is a very toxic relationship mm. behind it all. And it all works. It all works really well. You've also done something else. You've encouraged us and you've done it very well to look in particular directions. And then you set little tripwires for us. <laughs> um, well, you know, it's the first time that I've ever written um, a psychological thriller. And I suppose it is, you know, the pacing is really important. You know, you have to have cliffhangers. There have to be secrets that the reader wants to read on and read on in order yeah. to um, discover. And I suppose what I found interesting was, you know, when you look at cases, you know, especially unsolved murder cases, so often if the main suspect um, in that case is a man, the there's a lot of questioning around, God, why does his partner stay? Why yes. does his wife stay? And to me, that was like a very uncanny parallel with the language that we use with victims of abuse, where we say, why don't these women just leave? Um, and so it, to me, I think it seemed like a really natural fit. In the same way, you know, that Leanne Moriarty with Big Little Lies, you know, dealt with domestic violence. Um, mm. Hannah French does it. Megan Abbott does it. Like, that sometimes I think a psychological thriller can be a very good vehicle for mm. exploring these sort of issues. Well, it also has to be careful not to get preachy. Which no, I, I, no, and no, and no, again, no. you achieve that balance re- really well because it's, oh, a, it's a page-turning story. But the more you go along, the more you think, this is a horrible relationship. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, well I'm, glad that you, I'm glad that you think that. And actually, I really appreciate that because I suppose I... This isn't asking for part two. You know, these are very different books. Like, I think that book was much more overtly about sexual violence, mm. whereas I think After the Silence is, first and foremost, a thriller. Um, and hopefully, you know, as you said, a, a page-turning story, but just interweaving, I suppose, just a little, just a little bit of um, nuggets around the way this kind of abuse can appear in relationships, Um because I, I, I don't know, I think that like sometimes with art, and I've, I've said this to you before, it's such a great way of just starting these conversations mm. um, and even just putting that that thought um, into someone's mind so they might have a little bit more awareness if they or someone they love found themselves in a relationship like this. Yeah. Or maybe to look at someone's relationship that you might be troubled about and look deeper mm. into it and in, mm-hmm. in your in your own life. Louise, I will say this much for you. I've said it before and I'll say it again. You're a heck of a storyteller. Oh, thank you. And, and, and I'll give no spoilers, but I'm thoroughly enjoying this and, and, and best of luck with it. Thank you so much, PJ. Cheers. That's Louise O'Neill. New book called After the Silence. Well worth a read, I promise you. That's it for today. Thanks, Dee. Thanks, Fergal. See you tomorrow, just after nine.